0: Deuteronomy means second law. And so a lot of Deuteronomy is going through laws that have already been uh, taught about. Uh, so we can't go through as we finish up this series in a few more weeks. We can't go through every Old Testament law. And we have had messages where we've talked about how to handle Old Testament laws. Uh, we had a series in Exodus and Leviticus where we 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 did some of those messages. But there's one law in uh, Leviticus in this section going through that I realized when I read this that there was no way that uh, we could, I could not in good conscience teach on this, even though I knew it would be difficult and it would be, be challenging, uh, but just so relevant to current events. And even though this is uh, a verse, really we'll be looking at kind of one verse today and thinking about this and how it is in society— uh, this is a verse that a lot of people in our world today would say is um, not politically correct. Some would say bigoted, hateful. They'd have other words for that too. But we're going to uh, read this and we're going to think about what does this mean? What is being implied here? And how does that fit with our world today? So this is Deuteronomy 22.5. Let me read this for you. A woman shall not wear a man's garment... Nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember, the Hebrews were going into a land, they were going to be going into uh, Canaan, where some people did this. And maybe for some of them it had to do with uh, sexual sin. Maybe for some of them it had to do with sexual sin and idol worship together. But no matter what God was saying here to them, he was saying, don't do this. Instead, God was telling them to be who God had created each of them to be. Now, before we get into what this verse is saying, let me just get some things, uh, clear some things up and tell you what, I, what I'm not saying here. So if you're uh, a lady and you came here and uh, you didn't wear uh, a dress today, you came and you're wearing uh, you know, pants, don't worry, I'm not here to yell at you. Okay? I don't think that this is what it's about. And I'm not going to argue about uh, hair length if uh, your hair is shorter than mine or longer than mine, uh, because I think that isn't necessarily the point. And I think we do have to realize that there are things, there are clothing and expressions of gender uh, that, that often are cultural and do change. Uh, the way that we dress today isn't the way that they dressed 2,000 years ago. And there are certain things. If I was in, If I came here and I was wearing a skirt right now, uh, this would be an, an awkward thing. But if I was in Scotland and I was wearing a kilt, that would be considered okay, that men wear kilts in, in Scotland, even though it's basically kind of this, the same thing. So we have to realize that there are some things that are, that are cultural, hairstyle, even hair length. Uh, you, you look at your $1 bill and you look at George Washington and the wig he's wearing, uh, it's probably not the kind of thing somebody would wear around today. And yet, George Washington was more of a man than I will ever be in 100 years. So there are some things that are, are cultural, even colors sometimes change, and it, it's different according to intent, too. If you have a football player that's wearing pink shoes because he's supporting breast cancer awareness, that's different than somebody you know wearing pink in order to, to be girly. So those are some of the things I think this verse is, is not talking about. It's not saying, but we need to think about what it is saying. And I want to say this, I think we can say this in a positive way, in, in an affirming way. You can, any biblical command, you can think of it, the, the negative side, don't do this, but you can also flip it around and realize it's teaching something very positive. So I think the positive implication that we can have for this is that it is good to embrace the biological sex of male or female that God created you as. That God created each person. He created you as, as a male as a, or as a female, as a man or as a woman, boy or a girl. And that's how God designed you. And you should embrace who God created you. And this is not just having to do with your feelings. This has to do with your, the physical reality of, of your body. And so this is saying that if God created you as a male... To present yourself in a way that people will understand that you're a male and present yourself in a way that communicates that you you accept that. You don't reject the fact that that you're a male. If God created you a female, that is a good thing. And present yourself in a way that people will understand that you're a female and that you accept and that you don't reject that. And I think part of, yes, embracing uh, the biological reality that God made us is presenting yourself to others as though you embrace that. Now, I think something important that we need to say, and I'll say this again and again, is this does not necessarily mean, this doesn't mean that we need to embrace all of the stereotypes and all of the man-made expectations. That there are some things that people label as being, uh, this is for, this is, uh, for a man and this is for a woman, and sometimes those are way exaggerations. It's some kind of hyper-masculinity or, or hyper-femininity or, and you don't always need to go to that, but this verse does mean not rejecting or rebelling against being created as a male or female by God, and realizing that both of those things are good. So implications of this verse: God is sovereign; He created you as a man or a woman. If we think of this verse saying, "A man shall not wear uh, a, wo- a woman shall not wear man's garments," and vice versa yeah, it implies that there are only two sexes or genders, which we're going to see is uh, different from what a lot of the world is is presenting these days. And this verse also implies that you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick and choose what you just want to be, that you are what you are, and that's how God created you to be. And all of this is controversial in the world today. This is, uh, like I said, could be labeled politically incorrect or hateful or, or transphobic to talk about this. And we see things in the news and on TV, uh, so much talking about um, transgender, talking about men or women who identify as the opposite gender. Uh, some of them saying they feel that they're trapped in the wrong body. We hear about uh, hormones and surgery being given to people in order to transition them to the opposite sex. And sometimes even debates, and and sometimes even people doing this with children, giving them these things, uh, blocking puberty, and or uh, starting this transition process. The Washington Post, in a story in, uh, a few years ago, ran an article called Transgender at Five. Little Catherine declared, when she was two years old, said, I'm a boy, and their parents didn't her parents didn't really know uh, what exactly to do with that. Um, when she was four years old, uh, her mom, Jean, uh, said to her husband, quote, I'm pretty sure Catherine is transgender. She's not just a tomboy. They took her to the psychologist who gave her a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. That's when uh, somebody uh, is bothered by the fact that they believe that uh, their, how they see themselves as their gender doesn't match their, their physical reality. So gave her this uh, diagnosis of gender dysphoria and a treatment plan. Gave her uh, She would take on a new name, Tyler, new pronouns, start going as he instead of she, and in new wardrobe, start dressing like a boy. Her older sister explained to her classmates, quote, it's just a boy mind in a girl body. And the post says, quote, Tyler doesn't really like to talk about Catherine or even acknowledge she existed. Quote, I'm not transgender, he fumes. I'm, I'm reading here. When he hears the word, often spoken by his mom as she explains things, I am a boy. And the Post did a follow-up story. Uh, a few years later, at age eight, medical tests started to show that Tyler was beginning to develop as a woman. And they made the decision to have Tyler go on puberty blockers. So to take drugs that would, that would block her from, from entering Puberty. So the rest of today's message, I'm going to do kind of two things. The first part, and this will be the, the, the sizable portion of things this morning, I want to explain transgender ideology today. And maybe you've heard some of these arguments, and maybe you haven't. Uh, it, it's hard to isolate ourselves completely from this, because uh, it's on the Internet, it's on TV, but we need to be aware of this, because this is what many, many people they're absorbing this. And especially some of the younger generations, um, this is what they're often being taught, and this is what many people are going to grow up believing that this this is normal. This is just how it is. This is how everyone has always thought about this. So it is important for us to understand this and to understand this thinking. And at the end, I want to explain how the biblical worldview instead of interpreting it in the way that the world is telling us in this new gender ideology, uh, how the biblical worldview, the biblical storyline, the true storyline gives us a better explanation and a better interpretation of, of reality of, and of people's experiences, both the, the good and the bad and the pain and everything that we have. Because so much about how we live our lives and how we see things is how we interpret our reality that we see around us. And that's part of what the uh, different activists are doing. They're trying to, uh, for many, cause them to interpret their experience in a certain way. Where it used to be that if you were a girl and you just, you enjoyed some, you know, kind of maybe rough and tumble type things and, uh, you know, being outside and maybe you didn't like dressing in frilly stuff, they just called you a tomboy and that was it. And it was not a big deal. Where now the message being heard by so many is that, well, this might this actually means I think you're actually a boy trapped in a girl's body. And people are going to hear that and they're going to interpret that and either think, they'll be told, okay, you're transgender or maybe you're actually a lesbian or something along those lines. That's how they're going to interpret their experience. And the same with uh, with boys sometimes, that if they're not into the certain things that uh, they think that, well, these are the the, the masculine things that all the, the guys are doing, and if they're not into that, well, you must be gay, or maybe you're just a girl trapped in a boy's body. And there, many people receive that interpretation. So we need to learn how to interpret it instead scripturally. And as I said, I really want this to be not just for um, most of the people that hear this, but I really want to also be speaking to uh, there's going to be people, whether it's here, whether it's online, that maybe, and maybe secretly, they're, they're wondering about some of these things. They're wondering about their own reality and how they feel. And if this other interpretation, if this is right. And I hope that this will help them to realize that this one, the way that they're being told by, by the world is going to lead to nothing but, but heartache and pain, and it is, is not good, and is not true, and, and is not beautiful. But instead, the biblical storyline explains the experience and gives, gives hope and promises reconciliation and forgiveness and wholeness. So, the first part, we going to talk about transgender ideology. And I'll give you a long sentence here. <laughs> the transgender ideology being promoted by activists today is very New constantly changing, unscientific, contradictory and harmful. Okay, so if you're doing the bulletin, you got a lot of blanks to to fill in there. It seems like an awful lot, but this is also going to be the outline for this section. We're going to unpack each of these each of these sections here. So transgender, this is kind of the uh, umbrella term Uh, That is for anyone whose gender identity doesn't match their biological sex. They feel that they're something different than what their their body would suggest to them. And so the ideology means this this way of thinking uh, that's being promoted. And I wanted to very carefully put in that it's, point out being promoted by activists. Because I want to really distinguish between the activists that are really trying to push this, you know, whether they're transgender themselves or they're trying to push this through politically or uh, because it fits with other things and doing a lot of harm to people. And I want to distinguish that between other people that may be more in the victim end of these things. That maybe they're caught up in this or they've been, they've been hurt by this because of how this has been pushed on them from other people. And we're going to see there's been a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt in this, both before, during, and afterwards. And so, again, I want these to be words of hope and healing for people. But the gender activists are are not necessarily the same as all the people that are influenced by this type of ideology. So of this, the first thing I want to say about uh, this transgender ideology um, is that it is very new. This is not something that goes back thousands of years. This is not something that even goes back uh, hundreds of years or much more than than a few decades. And one of the things that is very new about this that's at the core is that in this new view, biological sex and gender are now taught to be two unconnected things. The, <clears throat> we may be used to saying that, well, sex and, and gender and, are, are basically the same thing, but now what is being drilled into people and a lot of uh, the younger generation is going to come with just this understanding that, oh, yeah, these are two different things. They're described differently, and we just have to, to realize that. And so I'm also talking to the to younger generations here, and I want them to realize how this is new and different. It is different from ordinary use. And you even see this today, even on some media outlets that are uh, not conservative. I saw this article, maybe you see, saw this as well this past month. Um, this is from CNN headline a pyrotechnic device at a gender reveal party sparked one of California's wildfires burning over 8,600 acres. So, you know, these gender reveal parties, somebody's going to have a baby, Uh, you know, usually uh, their mom is still expecting, but they've had the ultrasound, so they know if it's a boy or girl, and so they get all the family and friends together, and Find some creative way to uh, let them know, and sometimes they release, you know, balloons. And if it's pink, it's going to be a girl. It's a girl, and if it's blue, it's a it's a baby boy. Uh, or they cut the cake. Or, and I know you've seen this. Some of you have done these things. And I think this one they had some uh, pyrotechnics going, and you know, good job, people. Ended up uh, burning over 8,000 acres doing this. But the thing that got me is, hey, when we talk about a gender reveal party, and they're still using gender here. Uh, that's, that's the normal way we used to always use it, talking about is it a boy or is it a girl. And you can look at the ultrasound and you can tell, and that's what it is. And we're going to see that's actually different than the common way that people want to say it now. They're going to say that, well, that's uh, maybe biological sex is, has to do with anatomy. There, and there are some activists, there are activists that will say, you shouldn't have gender reveal parties. They say these just reinforce that this baby is what it is, and it's either a boy or a girl, and it's not some other combination. And there, there are people that really will argue and write articles and article and say that uh, you shouldn't have this because you don't know what the gender is. You should wait until the child is old enough that the child can decide for the child's self if the child is a boy or the child is a girl. And they seriously argue that with um, a straight face and, and full conviction, according to their worldview. So this is very new. So th- to help explain a little bit more about this mindset and how this is taught, um, let me introduce you uh, to someone. Uh, this is not my creation. I got this uh, online, but this is a common tool. This is uh, someone that is known as the ginger... Uh, the gender person excuse me not the gingerbread looks like gingerbread uh, but this is uh, the gender person and This is a, a common teaching tool uh, That is used in, in schools and in colleges and maybe some parents that that to teach uh, children to the difference between these different characteristics and so in the gender person that we see here. Uh, There is a variety of different characteristics. There is gender identity, and that points to the the head here. And so that is, uh, does this person feel like a man or a woman in in their head? What do they think of themselves as? And they distinguish this from, well, next is gender expression, and that's kind of how you dress, how you present yourself to the world. And the key in this is that each of these things are unconnected to all the others. So you could think of yourself as a man, but uh, present yourself as a woman, or vice versa. Okay, Or they could match, or they could not match. And then it says biological sex, so male or femaleness. And it has that um, kind of down by the uh gender-bred person's uh, private region there. And saying, well, that's, that's about that, but that's different than what the person thinks in their head. That's, that's their gender is how they think about themselves. And then anatomy, that's their biological sex. And then there's different things as far as who they're attracted to. You could be attracted to a man or a woman or w- whatever, or even romantically attracted to you. you. could have different types of attractions. And the whole thing is you have all these different characteristics, and it's not, and these all can be detached from each other according to this way of thinking. Now, I actually saw an earlier version of the, the gender-bred person. And in that one, it listed, say, man and woman as a, as a continuum, like a sliding scale. One end was, uh, was man and the other was, was woman. And the point of that was that, well, you can be anywhere on this continuum. That you don't have to be just, well, you're, you're a man or a woman. You can be, okay, half and half, or you can be three-quarters one way. And it was a, just a sliding scale, and that everyone's, you know, just kind of on the scale somewhere. But uh, the activists decided, say, well, that's not good enough, because that, what about people that don't want to be on the scale at all? And so they designed it this way, almost like there's, there's two different throttles, okay, for man and woman. Because maybe a lot of people, they feel that they're, um, maybe you feel that you're all the way woman and zero man, or other people, you're all the way man and zero woman, but there might be other people that are half and half, 50-50, or people that are zero and zero, and feel they just don't have gender, or people that are both 100%. They're all the way both genders. And so, so you have, if you heard about you know Facebook or other places having 50-plus genders and, and counting, you know that's part of how how this works in this mindset. So that's part of what is, uh, what's being uh, presented here. Now, also... It uses different categories: woman, or feminine, or female, man, masculine, maleness. I realize don't try to keep those categories straight. I tried to see, okay, they're consistently using those, but even uh, for the activists, they get those things moved around and mixed up. So you'll drive yourself nuts trying to keep those things straight, and they don't even keep them straight. So just to, to realize that, but as I mentioned, transgender is the kind of the big umbrella term for anyone. Who, according to this theory, whose gender identity doesn't match their biological sex. There used to be an, an older term that was gender identity disorder, and that term was used in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders until the uh, most recent edition came out in, in 2013. And the reason that it was removed was not because there was some uh, you know, new scientific evidence uh, about this, but it was removed for political reasons, because gender identity disorder, uh, well, implied that you know having you know incongruity between your biological sex and what you think you are that that's a disorder that there's something wrong, and people argued, well, there's nothing wrong with us. This this is fine. So they changed it in, in 2013 to gender dysphoria. That's the new term, and this refers quote. Quote refers to the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's experienced gender or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. So it says it's not a disorder, but the distress from that is the disorder. So it's saying just you know, thinking that you're a different uh gender than your sex, that's not a disorder. But if you feel distress about that, well we can call that an order disorder, you know, because we need insurance to pay for the surgery that you want. So that's part of what was, what was going on there. So I said, this is, this, again, this is very new. So you may have never heard of this. This may be weird to think, but realize that younger generations are, are going to be absorbing some of these things. And even so many things, it's common to see gender and uh, biological sex just taught that they're two different things that they're just unconnected to each other as well. Um, If you look up definitions of gender these days, um, one is going to say gender refers to the socially constructed roles, behaviors, and activities and attributes that a given society considers appropriate for boys and men or girls and women. That's from the American Psychological Association. So there, they're viewing gender as not even attached to uh, physical uh, sex, but it's a social construct. It's something that just society has made up and that we have kind of manufactured as a society. Again, detached or independent of biological sex. And in this view, it is is subjective. They say it's only something you can know. You can't determine this by uh, scientists or anything. They look at you. It's just something you know in your head. Now, sometimes the activists will say that gender identity is, is fixed and unchangeable. You notice other times they'll say that gender identity is chosen. or that Sometimes it can even change you know, during the day. Um, so that's something to consider. But again, it's, it's very new. And to realize this, you know, before this, I remind you, you know, sex and gender basically refer to the same thing. In common usage, like the the gender reveal party, that was about the, the biological sex. You didn't have to say biological sex reveal party. It was sex and gender are being used interchangeably. I looked at home at a, a paper dictionary. It's good to hang on to some of those paper dictionaries because you know the electronic stuff they can change that on you all of a sudden. But this one it was 2001, and I looked up gender in uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary and. Uh, The first definition of gender was basically about grammar. You know, in languages, they'll classify things according to uh, 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 masculine or feminine or neuter for some things in some languages. So it was just referring to grammatical categories. And the second definition had to do with classification of sex. Nothing to do with, you know, social construct or or gender identity. And also, too, was saying, well, gender... You know, it it means, you know, this what it is in your head. That's not the etymology even of the word. The word gender originally had to do with the capacity to produce children. The root of the word gender is, if you go way back to the Greek, is gen, which also gives us uh, words such as generate, meaning to produce or to beget. The Oxford Dictionary of English Etymology Gives us these related words to gender: uh, genealogy, generate, genesis, genetic, gene, and genital. And these things have to do with um, with procreating, with creating uh, new life. It was in the sixties a radical doctor um, named John Money was the first to use gender in academic literature in this new way as a social construct that was unrelated to biology. And uh, more and more, this is getting pushed on. So it's very new, but it's also constantly changing. So you have the the gender-bred person, but for many people, the activists, they're never satisfied, and they always have to go a step further, that this was not good enough for them. Okay, the gender-bred person, for a few reasons, one, they said, well, you know, the gender person still kind of looks. They thought more like a more like a man, and so we need something that's a little bit more. You can't tell, you know, what it is, and a few other changes. So, a uh, new kind of updated version was presented, which is the the gender unicorn. Okay, so now you have the uh, the gender unicorn that's being used to taught. I mean, appeals to kids, you know, little purple unicorn here, and you can't tell if that unicorn is. Uh, a boy or a girl, because who knows what boy and girl unicorns look like, because unicorns don't exist. Um, but here you also have more categories, too. Not only do you have throttle for male and female, but you have other genders. So You can have, you know, even more combinations going. But here's what I want you to notice. This is actually a big deal, and you will hear this on the news. You will hear this all over the place, and we need to realize what's going on. Even in the other one, it referred to one of the categories, the anatomical category, as biological sex. Do you notice what it's, it's different here? Now it's changed to sex assigned at birth. And this is a change for a specific reason. And looking at, I looked at the website for the people that created this, and they said this is part of the reason why they did this, um, is that even the phrase uh, a biological sex still seems too much like that's just a given reality, that it's just something that's fixed and unchanging. And some of them are even pushing that, uh, that biological sex is actually a social construct, something that's just in our heads and that we're making up. And so if you say instead sex assigned at birth, it makes it seem much more subjective. You know, people are just taking a guess. You know, if uh, someone paints a room and a few people go in there and they say, well, you know, what color is that? One person might say, well, I think it's orange. Another might say, well, I think it's more red. Well, I think it's more, you know, you're making your guess, but maybe you don't really know what it is. And they say, well, that's what the doctors are doing and parents. They're just, yeah, they're kind of doing their guess, but even they don't really know. It's all subjective. I think it's really important for us to realize, because the other people, they realize this, if you control the language, you control the debate. If you control the terms that are being used, you can set things up so that you're guaranteed to win. And we need to be aware in so many different issues that people are being very intentional about the language. And sometimes we need to, we need to back way up and say, whoa, wait a second. We need to, I can't even use the terms like you're using the terms. So, it is, this ideology is very new, it's constantly changing. I also said that it is unscientific. And I, I really believe that it is. So many times people bash uh, believers, Christians, as being the anti-science people. But I think if you look at this, you realize just how much this just flies in the face of biology, it just flies in the face of just uh, reality and, and science. And they're not getting this from science. It's, it's agenda-driven according to people's desires. Transgender ideology is based on feelings rather than biological facts. When in truth, being male or female, is, it's not a state of mind. It's based on your chromosomes. Okay, you were not assigned a gender at birth. Okay, it was hardwired into you from conception. And I say that not just biblically, but I say that scientifically as well. Being a male or a female is not just a matter of, to be blunt here, having boy parts or girl parts. Okay? Because even if you were in an accident, and even if your parts got lost because of an accident, you're still a man or still a woman. Okay? It's just the tragic thing that happened, but it wouldn't have changed that. ever watch one of those TV shows where they have like crime scene investigators? You know, and somebody commits a a murder, and the crime scene investigators come in, and they find a little drop of blood of the murderer, or a piece of skin somewhere, or like a hair, and they're able to do diagnostic tests on this, and they can determine just from that, you know, if if the the murderer, the person they're looking for was a, a male or a female. And the reason for that is because uh, this is just hardwired into our chromosomes, uh, into these in, in, in the the nuclei of our, our every cell in our body. Our chromosomes are are wired in there. This this code that is inside of us uh, that it is used to, to to build our body. These are kind of pictures of chromosomes. What they look like. Normally, each human being has 23 pair of these chromosomes. And each chromosome is made of DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, okay, and protein. And each, uh, each chromosome has uh, exactly one DNA molecule in it. Again, the DNA molecules, these are amazing. It's like this uh, uh, chemical code that is used to tell our, our bodies how to grow. And it's amazing. And they're in every cell in your body, and they're really tiny, but if you unfolded, these DNA, it'd be about six and a half feet long, they say. That's how much is in there, and it's all this, this code that is wired. Honestly, DNA is so amazing. To me, it is just a huge evidence that, that we were designed by God because this is, this is information that is used to build us. So this is in all of our, our bodies, and there are two of these chromosomes that determine if you are a male or a female, if you were born as a boy or a, a girl. They are the X and the Y chromosomes, and it's actually the, the last one. They don't actually look like an X or a Y. That's, that's, they're named that, but not because of how they look. So just remind us of a uh, kind of basic biology refresher or uh, to drill this into us. Um, I, I wonder how much this is being emphasized today because uh, it would be hard to promote some of these things if you keep reminding yourself of just how this works. But when uh, a baby is produced in this world, it's by uh, a mom and a dad, okay? Hopefully, uh, ideally, you know, a wife and a husband coming together in a a union. And of this, mom is going to, within her, of those two chromosomes that determine uh, that she's a female, she will have two X chromosomes, okay? So if you're a lady out here, um, that's normally what you got there. Uh, dad has X and a Y chromosome. Now, when uh, mom and dad uh, produce a child, I won't describe exactly how that works. Uh, parents, you know, when time is right, you can explain that to your kids. Uh, but dad gives uh, some of his genetic material uh, to, to uh, mom, and uh, these are combined. So mom is going to give uh, one of her chromosomes. You get one from mom and you get one from dad. Now, for mom, she's got two X's, so you're definitely getting an X from her, and if you end up getting the X from dad, now you have two X's, and that makes a daughter, okay? It's going to be, it's a baby girl when that happens. That's how it is. On the other hand, if, well, mom always gives an X because she's got an X, but if you get the Y from from dad, then you get a son, you get a baby boy, and that's, that's how this works, and this is the only combination that that produces life. A, a a female and a male coming together. One female, one male. Uh, this is not something that two males, that two boys or men can do. This is not something that two women can do. This is not something that one person can do or a, a bunch of people together. It's always going to be the contribution from one male and one female coming together. That's how it's always always been. And so it is determined by the specifically the Y chromosome. It is really the key factor there. In fact, one textbook on embryology, William Larson's human embryology, he states it like this, that the presence of a Y chromosome determines maleness and its absence determines femaleness. So in a way, you could say it like this, if you're a Y, if you have a Y, you're a guy, okay? If you don't have a Y, then then you're not a guy, then you're a girl. That's how it works. It's, It's binary. We talk about gender binary, and people resist that. They want to get rid of the binary. But it really is, it literally is a binary thing. For those of you that are into computers, you know that, that uh, if you go deep enough into the code, everything in computers is binary. It means it's one or the other because it's built on ones and zeros. That it's either on or off. It's one or the other, and there's no in between. And that's exactly the same way with this. You either have a Y or you don't have it. And so it's, it's an on or off. It's a binary thing. Now, there are, sometimes there are abnormalities with the chromosomes, Men with Kleinfelter syndrome have extra X chromosomes and sometimes make them uh, uh, look more feminine, but they still have a Y chromosome, which makes them men. Uh, Women with Turner syndrome have just one X chromosome. Uh, They don't have two, but they don't have a Y, and they're they're still women. So the key is the presence or the absence of this, this Y chromosome. And this is why people talk about sex change operations And you can never really change sex. You can change appearance, kind of to a degree, but you can't change your chromosomes. They're always going to be in you, either with XX or XY. The DNA evidence will always uh, be the same. You can't reorder the body also to produce children as the opposite sex. The people that have these operations, it just doesn't work that way. Men and women are distinct and were designed for each other. At the core of this distinction is the way that each of them are designed in order to bring new people into the world, to create new life, to create babies, this important thing so life can continue, and families. So even before and even after your reproductive years, and even if you are infertile, your body is still ordered towards reproduction as a male or a female. Males are ordered or designed, I mean, your whole body is, uh, in order to donate genetic material, sperm to females, to donate to females, not to males, so that a baby may be conceived in the mo- mother's womb. Further, men are designed also to excel as providers and protectors for their families. Females are biologically designed to have the capacity to, to produce eggs and to receive genetic material from a male and to conceive and grow a baby in their womb during their reproductive years, unless there's, unless there's an or, a disorder, some kind of issue preventing that from happening. And they're also designed physically and, and psychologically too to nurture and care for babies uh, after they're born, to, to feed them and uh, nurture them. They have strengths that help them to do this very well. Please note, I am not saying that this is all that women can do. But this is at the core of how the bodies of women are ordered or designed differently from the bodies of men. And also, clarify, a disorder, okay, when something's wrong, it doesn't mean that a woman is not a woman. It just means that something is preventing her body from fully functioning according to the way it is ordered or designed. Okay, if a car has a flat tire, it might not at that point be able to go down the road, but it's still a car. It hasn't turned into something else. So even if there's some, there's some problem and uh, this isn't possible, that doesn't change the fact that someone is a woman or a man. Uh, for example, I hope that I could, I could talk about this, but um, when, when we decided to start um, trying to have kids, um, it, it took us while, well. And I think we went to about three years, um, or it was, I know we got up to 30 months and um, just wasn't happening. And we thought, are we, is this ever going to happen? Are we going to have kids? And Hope uh, saw a doctor and was diagnosed with endometriosis. She had a surgery for that. And shortly thereafter, baby Eric. So there are some problems that we, we do have a way to fix. There are some that we don't. However, this is different from a biological man not being able to conceive a baby. Okay, a biological man is not designed or ordered to conceive a baby at all. That's not a disorder. That's just the fact that he was not designed to do this at all. And the sex change operation just can't change that fact. Some people wonder some issues. Do men and women have different brains? Uh, do transgender people have, have brains of the other gender? Is That's what's going on. And I think this is an ironic thing that some suggest this because uh, the politically correct view of other activists, of feminists, has been to emphasize that there's no difference at all uh, between brains of, of men and women. This is controversial, but some studies have shown that there are differences between male and female brains. However, studies have not shown that there is something about the brains of transgender people that determines that they will be transgender. They don't find that. And we know from twin studies that being transgender isn't written into our DNA. If it was, then identical twins would both be either transgender or not transgender, when the reality is it's about 20% that if one twin is transgender that the other will be as well, too so we know it's not because of the DNA. Now, there might be factors that contribute influence towards that, but it's not guaranteed by that. A more common theory is that hormones received during pregnancy wire the brain to be more masculine or feminine, however, studies don't show that there is one set of circumstances that guarantees that a person will be transgender and another person won't. At best, it might be a slight influence, but not the whole story. This also doesn't fit with activists who tell us that gender identity is, is fluid and can change from day to day. But activists tell us, according to their ideology, it doesn't really matter how it was caused. All that matters is how a person feels. In fact, one picture book designed for four-year-old children called The Gender Fairy uh, has a line where it tells children this, quote, "...only you know whether you are a boy or a girl." No one can tell you. This transgender ideology, it's it's all based on it's all based on feeling. Based on how people feel on the inside, feeling not biological fact. Which of course there's a question, and I, I say this in all seriousness. And I would like people to really think about this, and especially if you're someone maybe listening to this, you know, that wonders, you know, do you feel like the opposite gender? Even if that was the case. How would you know what it feels like to be the opposite gender? I mean, how could any of us know what really it would feel like? I mean, I can't really know what it feels like to to be my wife. There's ways I can try to imagine, but you kind of know how you feel, but you don't have anything to really compare that to. It's not like you've been one and then you've been the other, and, oh, well, being a man feels this way. It feels... Warm, or it feels like this color, or it feels how would you even describe that? How would you know? So if you were someone, you know, that even if this was true that you were trapped in the other body or you felt a different way, trusting your feelings, I think there's no way to even know that. There was a a philosopher, uh, Thomas Nagel, that raised a a philosophical question. He asked, uh, "How what is it like to be a bat?" And he said. No one can know what it's like to be a bat except for a bat. You know, we can try to imagine what it's like to be a bat, but we're not really going to know what it really is like, feels like to be a bat. Even a bird can't really know what it's like to be a bat. Only a bat can know, and a bat can't really communicate that to us. You know, in the same way, we don't really know what it's like to be the other thing. I think it's an important thing to, kind of, to realize Your body is objective, but your your feelings are not objective. Another thing with this being unscientific is to realize that scientific research is buried when it doesn't fit the narrative that the activists are trying to present. And there's so much pressure on institutions, on media, on universities, that researchers who try to publish anything contrary to to the activists are punished are fired, that are excluded, uh, that are just marginalized as as, as bigots, or uh, or worse. One example of this has to do with the concept called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Let me explain. With that, a rapid onset means it comes on quickly. Gender dysphoria. Um, Deborah So a non-Christian neuroscientist specializing in gender and sex, writes this in her book, The End of Gender. Um, it says she's a non-Christian. Uh, she, she does uh, reject some of the ideology that's out there. Um, she believes that, there's, there's, that it is a binary, but there's a lot I wouldn't agree with. But she writes this. <laughs> Until recently, adolescent-onset gender... Uh, Dysphoria had only appeared in adolescent males in the form of autogenophilia. I'll explain that in a bit. Rapid-onset gender dysphoria is seen primarily in teenage girls and college-age women is characterized by a sudden desire to transition to male, often out of the blue, without any previous history of gender dysphoria. So there, there, there are different causes, and people don't know everything as far as what causes these things, but they were studying what, why is it that some of these teenage girls and college-age girls were just all of a sudden uh, becoming transgender and, and feeling that they were actually males instead. In 2018, Lisa Littman of Brown University published the first study of rapid-onset gender dysphoria, and her findings basically were that for many of these girls, it was a, a social contagion. And what is meant by that is that uh, this was something that uh, they were being heavily influenced by the people around them in their peer groups. And according to the study, so many of them, they noticed that it wasn't just one girl in isolation uh, coming to this view that she was a boy, but it was kind of a whole pocket of these girls all at the same time, which wouldn't really make sense if this was just you know, something that they were born with and something that was fixed. In fact, according to this study, uh, about 40% of these girls, for about 40% of them, more than half of their friend group had also come out as transgender. This also typically came out after they were spending a lot of time uh, watching a lot of uh, videos online and social media in which transitioning was glamorized. But this went against the narrative, against what they're trying to teach about this, that, you know, to teach that it's a social contagion. Activists were enraged. The study was denounced as transphobic and in a backlash Brown pulled the press release for the study. The journal was subjected to a post-publication review. They did everything they could to try and bury it, although later it was vindicated that, well, this is just the fact. I mentioned autogenophilia. This is also something that a lot of activists try to hide this and I won't go into all the detail I could on this, uh, but I said, there's a lot of different causes, and there seem to be different ones for for young kids, but for those that uh, develop this in, um, you know, as teenagers or as adults, uh, the reality is it breaks down into either homosexuality or autogenophilia, which is they're they're not homosexual. They're still attracted to women, but autogenophilia uh, means self. Gina means, like, gynecologist, woman, and Philia love. So they love the idea of themselves as a woman. And they're, they're attracted to the idea of themselves in that way. And this is something also that um, the media and activists kind of try to hide this, but it's, it's well known uh, for those that do counseling. So it, it's unscientific. It's also, as I said, it's, it's contradictory. And these ideas are incoherent. You can't live these things out consistently. As I said, they're constantly changing. Um, but there's also just questions. Is gender fixed or is it a social construct? You know, how can you have an innate, fixed sense of a social construct, something that's just made up by society? That doesn't make sense. Is it, on one hand, they talk about it being innate and unchanging. that It's within you and it's just how it is. And another time, they'll talk about people are free to be who they want to be. You can transition to being the other gender, but if you try to transition back, then you're just you're blasted. Are we supposed to accept our bodies or not? So much of the media tells us you should accept how you are, whether you're short or tall or what do you look like or um, what, what your weight is. You shouldn't be ashamed to accept that. But then you have this, and it's, the whole message is don't accept what your body is. Reject that, get surgery, do whatever you have to to change it. On one hand, they say that uh, gender incongruence is an illness, but then it's not an illness, but then they demand special, expensive medical procedures to to fix it. Other questions, are we supposed to accept gender stereotypes or not? Some people say, no, we shouldn't. You shouldn't have these stereotypes that a man has to be this way and a woman has to be this way. But transgender is is all built on, uh, if you feel that you're this social construct, you need to go after that. It's all about going overboard into these stereotypes. So just so many contradictory messages. And also, just even the use of terms. Sex doesn't mean gender, well, except when you want it to. Except when politicians want to use Title IX to project gender identity, to protect that, even when Title IX actually uses the word sex instead of gender which, if they're being consistent, would be about, okay, what's your physical body, not just how you feel about yourself. In 2019, the Obama-Biden administration sent a dear colleague letter to all schools announcing that schools must allow students, quote, to participate in sex-segregated activities and access sex-segregated facilities consistent with their gender identities. So if a biological male decided his biological if a biological male decided his identity was a girl, he gets to use the girl's locker room and be on the girl's sports team and, and do what he wants. And this brings me to kind of the last point. I believe this is, is harmful in several different ways. Harmful to women? One, think of sports. I mean, this really going to be the end of women's sports. There are so many sports right now where uh, biological males that are uh, professing to be women are going in and just they're crushing and dominating uh, these girls that are practice and practice. But even if and sometimes they, they're in a stage of transitioning, sometimes they're not, but uh, there's just physical advantages that they have. In so many sports, uh, these new records are being set by all these transgender males going into this and it's make it difficult to, you know, girls that have uh, trained their whole life, you know, and now they're second place to a, a guy that's um, competing as a woman, you know, and they're not getting their awards or scholarships. But then the bigger thing is even the safety issues. Bathrooms, uh, men, sometimes predatory men, claiming to be women, whether they're transgender or not, going into bathrooms, showers. A big issue with shelters, women shelters where the most vulnerable women are, uh, having to take in biological men that oftentimes have all kinds of issues. Um, There are prisons. In a forum in 2019, Joe Biden said, In prison, the determination should be that your sexual identity is defined by what you say it is, not what, in fact, the prison says it is. I think it's harmful to to free thought, I mean not just religious liberty; it's that, but but for everyone, really, to be able to say how we think reality is. Um, Deborah Sow in her book outlines how academics have been silenced and, and punished. Dissenters are are crushed. Even feminists like uh, uh, the oh, uh, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, you know, a feminist, but you know, being blasted for a day Daring to state that only women are are women. In New York City, you can now be fined $250,000 for intentionally misgendering someone. If you call them by something that's different than their preferred pronoun, that's the fine that you can get. So it is coercing people to get along with their program. But even worse, this is harmful to transgender people themselves and especially to those that undergo these type of treatments. In studying for this, I read the descriptions of some of these sex reassignment surgeries, and I'm not going to describe them, and you don't want me to. But it is a mutilation of a healthy body, and it's irreversible. I mean, if they change that, you can't repair what is being done. And the sad thing is they, they don't help even. Um, consistently, they have shown that it doesn't alleviate this pain the way they say it does. One study from 2011, for example, found that suicide rates for people who have transitioned are 19 times higher than those of the general population. There's also the issue of what's called transgender regret, um, and this is documented. There's so many cases of this of people that have trans, uh, transitioned. Um, there's different stages starting to, you know, take hormones, uh, then the, the full surgeries, uh, but then they've come to change their mind on this and just the regret and mentally and physically what it has done to them. And I want to, I want to read you a few of these. One of these, this is from a very good book on the issue, Ryan Anderson. It's called When Harry Became Sally, uh, this is from a, uh, a woman. This is published in the UK Guardian, 2017. A girl who had spent her, her childhood as a tomboy. She writes, It wasn't until I was 15 that I found out about transitioning. Everything fell into place. This is who I was. I realized I could have the body I wanted, so I went to my GP, age 17, and I was told that I was too old to refer to children's services and too young to be seen in as an adult. I didn't get my first appointment until three months after my 18th birthday. After months of waiting and appointments, none of which included counseling, I finally started on testosterone gel, later switching to injections. It was a huge thing when, at university, my voice broke. And my figure started changing, my hips narrowed, my shoulders broadened. It felt right passing as a man. I felt safer in public places, and I was taken more seriously. When I spoke, I felt more confident. Then I had chest surgery. It was botched, and I was left with terrible scarring. I was traumatized. The first time, I was asked to myself, what am I doing? I delayed the next step of a hysterectomy and the lower surgery after looking into phalloplasty and realizing that I was going to need an operation every 10 years to replace the erectile device. She goes on and says, I had assumed the problem was in my body. Now I saw that it wasn't being female that was stopping me from being myself. It was society's perpetual oppression of women. And once I realized this, I gradually came to the conclusion that I had to detransition. She says, I've come off testosterone and as my body has resumed production of its own hormones, I've become someone female who looks like a man I will always have broken voice and will never regrow breasts, but my hips and thighs are getting bigger. Being male was more comfortable for me, but remaining on hormones meant I would have to continue to focus on my body as the problem when I don't believe it belongs there. What feels easiest isn't always what's right. And she says, But I do feel very sad when I think of my fertility. I want to be a parent one day, but it's likely that being on testosterone has made that more difficult. I'm now in my late 20s and won't know until I try to have children. There's a story, many of these. Jamie Shoup, who was the first legally recognized non-binary person in the United States. He won the right to have his uh, IDs and everything changed. And a few years later, he renounced it and regretted it and now he says that transgender identity is a fraud and it's, it's ruining lives. Walt Heyer is the name of another uh, person that has transgender regret. He has a website, sexchangeregret.com, and has many of these stories and information. And in a letter written to uh, Walt Heyer, another person writes this. <clears throat> says, I transitioned to female beginning in my late teens and changed my name in my early 20s over 10 years ago, but it wasn't right for me. I felt only discontent now in the female role. I was told that my transgender feelings were permanent, immutable, deep, physically deep-seated in my brain and could never change. And the only way I could ever find peace was to become female. The problem is I don't have those feelings anymore. When I began seeing a psychologist a few years ago to help overcome some childhood trauma issues, My depression and anxiety began to wane, but so did my transgender feelings. So two years ago, I began contemplating going back to my birth gender, and it feels right to do so. I have no doubts. I want to be a male. I did have an orchiectomy, the removal of one or both testicles, and that happened before my male puberty had completed, so I have a bit of facial hair, which I never bothered to get electrolysis or laser for, And the one blessing about all this is that with the male hormone treatment, I can resume my male puberty where it was interrupted and grow a full beard and deep voice like it would have been if transgender feelings hadn't intruded on my childhood. He writes, My breasts are difficult to hide, though, so I'll need surgery to get rid of them. And saddest of all, I can never have children, which I pray God will give me strength to withstand that sadness. Ryan Anderson writes, fixing the body through hormones or surgery doesn't fix the real problem any more than liposuction cures anorexia. It's a good illustration, too. I think someone would want to be kind and go along with it, but would we go along with that with somebody that had anorexia and they're they're starving to death in their skin and bones and to make them feel good say, well, no, you're right, you are fat. You better, you know, uh, keep um, wasting wasting away and, and not eating. Thankfully, we don't treat other dysphoria like we treat gender dysphoria. And finally, to children is very harmful to kids. <laughs> there are several causes that they list um, that seem to be primary causes with, with children. Could be one, biological predisposing factors, social contagion, and sometimes from the parents too, not just from others. There are some parents who want to be seen as progressive and enlightened and will encourage their kids to do this because it makes them look good in their circles. Um, Sometimes there are other psychological issues that go along with it and and family dynamics. Children need to understand that there, there are various ways you can be a boy and various ways to be a girl. Again, they don't have to fit into the stereotypes. Being a tomboy is okay. It doesn't make you a, really a boy. You know, if you're, if you're a boy and you're not into all the th- things that you think all the other boys are into, that's, that's okay. It doesn't make you a girl. You don't have to fit into all the stereotypes. The activists, they have a treatment plan. These are officially published. Um, it would be a kindergarten, social transitioning, start having, you know, the, the name of the opposite sex, dress like them. Age nine, they suggest puberty blockers taking drugs so that you don't go into puberty they say that well this is going to be uh, you can reverse it any time but they don't really know that There's, there aren't studies and if you don't go to, into puberty until you're, like, you're 19 years old how can that be the same as if it would have been natural at age 16 they recommend that's a time for cross sex hormones so you start taking testosterone or, or estrogen it can mimic some of the Secondary sex characteristics, you know, hair and, and development. And then at age 18 is when you can have the full sex reassignment surgeries. Obviously, there's lots of consequences to this. But here's here's something else that's tragic. The statistics children with gender dysphoria eighty to ninety five percent of the time naturally grow out of it if they aren't encouraged to transition. 80 to ninety five times percent of time they're going they 're going to revert back to and accept their biological sex, but if they 're put on puberty blockers, virtually none of them grow out of it that it it seems like once they go down that road they 're they're just not going to change and part of it is probably going through puberty itself, getting those hormones uh, for many of them is probably what kind of helps them to register and to connect with their biological sex as they Start to develop. So you have all this, and so much confusion, so much hurt in the world. Here's the good news is that the Bible, the biblical worldview of creation, fall and redemption and restoration gives us a better way to understand gender, gives us a better way to interpret all this and to make sense of this in a way that rings true and in a way that, that gives hope. You think of the big biblical storyline, the big picture of Scripture. It's these four elements, creation, fall, redemption. That's when restoration or some consummation. Creation tells us that our original design by God was good. God designed gender differences, and they're a good thing. Genesis tells us, Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You see, God, he didn't ask permission of the, of the world to create it. He created it, and it, it was good. I realize It says, too, that you were created in the image of God. You have problems with your self-image. Just realize what Scripture tells you here, that you're not an accident, uh, that you're not valueless. You're created in God's image. That is a huge, weighty thing. And this passage tells us you were created as a man or a woman. These are not cultural constructs. These are God's design for us. And and hear me on this. God did not put you in the wrong body. God is is sovereign. And that's not even how it works. It's not as if there's some kind of pre-existent soul and that God gets a body and he, he puts that into the envelope. That's just not how it works. Uh, God, we come into existence as, as, a, as a package unit. And God is not goofing up, and he's not uh, somehow putting part of you in another part. That's just not even how humanity is. And there was wholeness in the creation. There was wholeness before the fall. But the fall, the second part here, explains why there's disorder, why there are problems, uh, why there's so many uh, th- th- there's, uh, issues in the world. It's that we have all been fractured by the fall. This world has been broken. Genesis three: Adam and Eve sin against God, and it introduces uh, disorder into the world. It introduces just a, a fracturing. That's why there's uh, things break down. That's why things go wrong. the The world is shattered now. There's conflict and rebellion and dysfunction between God, between us and God. That's the biggest deal. That sin and rebellion, um, spiritual death, condemnation, your relationship with God has been fractured. Your relationship with other people has been fractured. And that's why there's, there's fights. That's why there's fights in families and husbands and wives. There's fights between nations. That's why there's wars. That's why there's racism. We're, we're fractured from other people. And humans are also fractured in themselves as well. Physically at times, and this is why there, there's birth defects, there's genetic problems. Mentally, we have limits on our thinking and what can, we can understand. Psychologically, you know, issues, uh, gender dysphoria and other things. And morally, we have sin, we have autonomy, we have rebellion in our heart. Self-determination. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There may be a lot of causes for gender dysphoria, um, but at the core, we have to realize that because of our sin, people hate being assigned to something that they didn't pick for themselves. We want to be autonomous. We want to be in charge. And oftentimes, I think that's part of this. But then there's also redemption. Jesus came, and Jesus came to to reconcile us to realize that no matter what you're going through or how you feel about yourself, you are loved by God. Jesus came to bring you reconciliation. He died and rose to bring you reconciliation. And while you were still a sinner, Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die We have this reconciliation, first and foremost, most important, between you and God. There's salvation that you have, so you're no longer enemies, but if you trusted him as as your Lord and Savior, and I pray that you have, that you've you've been saved by him and reconciled. You're no longer enemies, but you've been justified, not because you're a good person, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You have reconciliation now, Begin with with other people, friends and and, and family. Um, Within the church, this is where it starts a, a reconciled community but also reconciliation between even your mind and your body. Nancy Percy has an excellent book that touches on this. Uh, the title of the book is Love Thy Body, teaching that you can have acceptance of the body that God created you to have. The world will tell you to mutilate your body to find peace. It won't work. Jesus gives you real peace and helps you to embrace the body that he gave you. But it will never, may never be easy or perfect in this life, and that's why we can look forward that there's also the restoration, that our disorders are temporary. There will be wholeness at the end when Jesus returns and he makes things right. And it's a restoration not just to how it was at the, in the creation, but even better than new. There will be full healing. There will be hope. Philippians 3, 20, says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. You want your body to be transformed? It's saying it will, not to a different gender, but to be like Christ. And then I'll just leave you with these words of hope from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Lord God, we give you praise. We thank you and praise you as the creator that made us and designed us and made us good. Uh, We submit to you as the one that has the authority, Lord God. Uh, We do not claim that for ourselves but you. And Lord, we we live in a fallen world, Lord, and we realize this explains why there's so many things that that are wrong and not right in this world, and even with us as well. And so we thank you. We give you praise that Jesus Christ, even while we were sinners, came and died for us so that we can have forgiveness, reconciliation, that you can make us new, that you can make us whole, that you can take what is fractured and put it together again, Lord God. And I pray that you would be doing that for people that are hearing this message, that they would turn to you for their healing and forgiveness. And we look forward to the day when there is full restoration, even better than new, Lord God. Until that time, let us endure, let us trust in you, and may you be our hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.